1: We're looking at the parables of Luke. Join us for today's broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Emeritus Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church right here in Hercules. Hi there and welcome. This is Truth For Today. Pastor Phil Howard takes us back to the book of Luke and we begin a series today called The Parables of Luke. Now we won't go verse by verse as much as we'll go parable by parable. We invite you to join us as we begin this journey together, looking at these parables and growing in God's grace as we are understanding just exactly what Jesus is teaching As we begin our time together today, we do so in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50, anointed by a sinful woman. Here's Pastor Phil in today's program.
2: Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, She brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Now, it's interesting that Jesus answers him. He hasn't asked any question. But because he is God and a prophet, he could read his mind without Simon even knowing it. And so he just says, let me tell you something, Simon. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii. A denarii was 18 cents. One denarii a day paid a Roman soldier and paid a farmer. So it's the average poor man's wage. So 500 days worth of wages. Whatever you make an hour, just take it out 500 days. But another just owed him 50 days worth of income. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Which of them will love him more? Simon replied, and is believed to believe reluctant. He knows he's being set up. He's just fishy. So some scholars think it's it's a reluctant, he doesn't want to answer if he can get out of it. But come on, he's a Pharisee. He's got to know everything about the law and God. And he said, so he says, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. Ah, you have judged correctly. You get an A, Mr. Pharisee, whose very name and vocation meant the separate ones, the holy ones. Then he turned toward the woman. We never get her name. It's going to be wonderful to see how many people in the Bible weren't important enough to have their name given to meet them in heaven. It might be left that way because it might be your name. Then he he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What's very interesting about the narrative is back in chapter 20 or verse 7, 24, the debate breaks open about John the Baptist and his kind of ministry. Uh, If you grew up in strict circles in Christianity... John the Baptist is your kind of guy. He's your kind of pastor. He doesn't drink. He doesn't smoke. And he's never seen with anyone who does. That's just the kind of a holy man you want, right? Yeah, Well, that's what most folks want that I grew up with. Are you holy? Are you separate? We ain't supporting a pastor that, uh, you know... Might play a friendly game of cards. No money involved. You could own cards. When I grew up, it was against, against that. We were for the John the Baptist. Wear a camel-haired outfit. Eat weird. Look a little weird. And you were holy. And we want you for pastor, even if we do run to Reno. And then here comes Jesus, the prophet of all prophets, the man of all men. Uh, I mean, the God-man has shown up. And guess what his style was? Verse 34. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. Now, do you think he meant water? No, everybody drank. No, no, he's drinking the real stuff. You know, first miracle turned water to wine. And we're still trying to figure out what wine means. Because if you're the John the Baptist crowd, it can't be fermented. So, no, no, my Savior wouldn't make anything that looked like gallow. Okay. You can make wine mean what you want. But God knew what he meant when he gave the word. And then, what did they say? And you say, about Jesus, he is a glutton. The boy's always going to parties. And a drunkard. And he's never drunk in his life. But just because he, he drank wine. A friend of tax collectors. How dare him? He's a friend with known crooks. People that we know scam on the tax bill and make maybe 15% under the table. He, he actually, he's gone over to Matthew's house. He's Zacchaeus, he looked the boy up. He went to his house. He had dinner with him. I don't want him for my pastor. He can't even be my Messiah. I don't like his style. And he actually runs with sinners. Then his wisdom is proved right by his children. Then he goes into the story. I mean, it just happens in the narrative that a Pharisee who is upset with his style and suspicious of him and he doubts that he is a prophet, but he has Jesus come over, and many debate why did he have him come over? Well, Let's get this clear. He didn't come over because he thought he was a prophet. He's totally in doubt. He doesn't think he's Messiah. Uh, I doubt that he's having Jesus over for celebrity status. He has him as a cynic. He wants, who is this man? Uh, I want to have a discussion with him. They brought him over. And uh, to show you how cynical he was, three things ordinarily happened when you had a rabbi at your house. And he was considered a rabbi. Just normally, just anybody to your house, you'd wash their feet. That was just uh, oriental custom. You wore open-ended shoes, sand, dirt. Wash the feet. If you didn't do it, you had a household servant do it. Uh, You would always greet them with a kiss of friendship or of welcome. Uh, and you see this still going on in the ancient Near East. You know, not on the lips, but on the side of the face. Uh, welcome. Uh, and then you would usually have some kind of uh, inexpensive, just depends on how you value the person, inexpensive perfume cologne. And that would be uh, giving special honor We're glad you're here. And see, we all grow up with deodorants, perfumes. This culture didn't have those things. That was special to have a pleasant uh, fragrance. Well, all that's omitted. None of that's going on. But when you have these occasions, something's interesting. They would uh, eat as they did in the upper room. You know, Da Vinci's Last Supper is uh, a fabrication. They didn't have the Last Supper that way. They all leaned on the left arm. And they ate with the right hand. So they're all leaning around the table here. And what custom permitted is the neighbors were allowed to come in without invitation. And what they would do is stand around the walls of the room, uninvited, but they would stand there and they would set in on the discussions of the rabbis, maybe learn something. And hopefully this would be a sumptuous meal. And if they were poor neighbors... They always hoped that hospitality would afford them a scrap or two, at least, of the meal. So that was common. So all of a sudden, uh, Mr. Simon's there. And without invitation, without notice, someone's against the wall. And not just against the wall, but the guest of honor's feet are being soaked with their continual Tears. And they're strong words in the Greek. They're present tenses. She was just weeping. Uh, someone has said that tears come from the well of the heart. Well, this woman was weeping and weeping. So much so that uh, when she did this, she broke custom. First of all, she shouldn't have been at a Pharisee's house. Unwelcome. Two, she lets down her hair. A woman was never allowed to do that except for her husband. In public, your hair was to be kept up. So she moved beyond the boundaries. she te- takes her hair, which was her glory, according to First Corinthians. A woman's hair is her glory. she turns her glory into a towel. And all of a sudden, we've got this man's feet being caressed, dripping wet from a woman, weeping, not just the picture is not a drop a drop. It's like a fountain's coming out of her. She lets down her hair, and she's drying his feet. She takes this expensive oil, not just the cheap brand, and she begins to massage his feet with this oil. And then of all things, she's down there kissing his feet. You've got to know this is a bad scene. You were ne- a rabbi was never allowed to see a woman in public, never to meet with her, and they were never to touch. She's already broken that. A woman's never to let down her hair. She did it. What in the world are you doing? And Simon is judging two people. He's judging the woman. He knows she's a sinner. It never says she's a prostitute, but that's probably the common path they go. She's so bad at whatever her sin was, she's known as the sinner. She had specialized in some kind of sin, most likely immorality. And Simon knows the woman's been bad. She's got a city reputation. They all knew that. But now the one on trial is Jesus. He's now judging him, said, oh, here I am supposedly having a man of God in my house. I'm supposedly having a prophet in my house. And he doesn't even know who's doing this. Doesn't he know he has a fallen woman, an immoral woman, who's breaking all propriety, touching him, wiping his feet, pouring oil, kissing him. Who are Do, do you not know who is in here? You're no prophet. You can't be a man of God. Just the way you're opening up to this woman, this is too central. Something is wrong. Well, what was wrong with Simon? And Jesus, being the prophet, he said, uh, uh, you know what? Uh, I'm going to do something for you, Simon. Uh, I want to ask you uh, just answer this question. It's not really brilliant, and the rabbis did this all the time, back and forth, hard sayings. Just tell me this: uh, a money lender comes to two men. He's going to foreclose on their houses because one owes him fifty days' worth of wages, and the other owes five hundred days' worth of wages. And guess what the money lender does? What? He forgives both men, paid in full not going to take your house, paid, bankruptcy, cleared. I just want to clear you of it. Both of you. You're cleared. Yeah. Who do you think would be the most affectionate towards the money lender? He puts it together. Well, I suppose the one forgiven the most. Jesus said, good, you got it, you got it. Then, without even going any further, and he just says, you know what? The only one in in this room that acts grateful is this woman. The only one showing gratitude and devotion to me is this woman. And you know why she's acting this way? She has been forgiven, first of all. Two, she obviously feels she's been forgiven much. And the way she demonstrates she's been forgiven much is she's gonna love much. And you, Simon, have done nothing towards me because you haven't been forgiven. And you haven't been forgiven because you don't think you need forgiveness. You think your religion has answered every question. You're a self righteous man that has never come before God and said, I am a sinner. I have a debt I cannot pay. I need grace that I cannot earn. You're in the religion business, but you have never been forgiven by God. Showing that you go to hell full of religion. Matter of fact, you might be the pastor of the church. It's easy to be a pastor of a church in America. When the Bible is not believed and Jesus has not taught us the way, there's many a man going to hell straight from the pulpit because he doesn't ever believe anything to get him to heaven. He's just in the religion business. There's thousands of them. And there's thousands on our pews that have never got into uh, this gratitude business and get carried away with Jesus. They've never had that. You know why? They've never been forgiven. You can't love him until you let him forgive you. You have to let him forgive you. See, the two men here, we can get caught up with one will love greater because he's been forgiven more. But remember, both were in debt. Both were bankrupt. And I think of uh, different people. I married, let's say, uh, I'll do it just for illustration. Uh, so it won't be picking on you. Uh, I married a woman forgiven 50 days worth wages. I felt I owed 500 days worth now I was really terrible sinner I got saved at 14 you know how many banks and how much prison time I've done but you know what when we talk our lives she was forgiven little she was only eight years old not a whole lot to forgive an eight-year-old but she was in debt she couldn't go to heaven on her own and she came to Jesus But you know what? When you're bankrupt at 50 days worth of wages, you feel as desperate as it doesn't matter how much I owe. I just owe a debt I can't eliminate. I want out of debt. I need someone to forgive the debt. And she went to Jesus at eight years of age. I came to Jesus at 14 and my, uh, for whatever reason, I felt like the worst sinner in the place that night. I've always felt the thing that qualified me to pastor such an honorary congregation is I'm the biggest sinner. I've always felt that. Because I know what I would have done. And I know many things I would have done had God not prevented me. So I didn't do it because I was great. I was doing it because God's hand was on me. And he could get a chokehold on you where it's kind of hard to do some sins so I would have done a lot more so I give myself credit for what I would have done had he not called me into the bank and says the bank of heaven says we want to forgive you everything you owe the bank how could that be well the owner's son has said he'd pick up all your debts but it will cost him his life on an old rugged tree but I have to say this being in church for these many years, being in the camel hair ministries, and the locust teeth kind of people. You can't tell when they've eaten locusts. It looks bad. But rugged, straight arrow Christians love Jesus with all their heart. Don't mess. They're so godly. Then I've been over here with just notorious sinners. Kind of what God's given us. Just, it's blatant. They were known better for their sin than their holiness. I went to a conference one time, and I wound up writing back with a pastor. And this conference was for large churches. They'd made a mistake and invited me. We were about 500 then. I didn't tell them. Just went to the conference. Had a great time. We're writing back, and this guy pastored a large Calvary Chapel in Southern California. And we were talking about church and staffing and that type of thing. And uh, uh, I said, well, how do you staff in your church? He said, I always look for the worst sinner that's ever been out there that got saved. Because I don't want any Pharisees on my staff. He said, you see, I grew up on the beaches of Southern California. I slept with everything I could sleep with. I snorted everything you could snort. I drank everything you could drink. I was hell-driven, sex-driven, used girls, abused them. And then God saved me. I wound up in a Calvary Chapel, kind of a halfway house. God saved me to the bone, forgave me of my sins, gave me some morals, gave me a reason to live. I want to reach the kind of kids that I was, and I don't need any self righteous Pharisees, and I don't need people who don't think God can stoop that low. I said, otherwise, you don't need any John the Baptist on the staff, right? I need the Jesus model. Those that a good raw bone sinner looks good; they're not even uptight about it. Oh, that's what I would be doing. That's the way I lived. Oh, you know, and I'm going to say, there's a lot of sins that have been done out there that don't even appeal to me, but in your heart, there's people who just says, Oh, if if I didn't do it, I could have done it, and I could love you in spite of what you did. Because you're still as much in debt one way or the other as I was. Spurgeon talks about preaching in churches where people seem to be little forgiven. He started his church. Well, he was in a church in the slums of London. But he said, when I preach around, I wind up in these churches where they were little forgiven. He said, it is a death experience. There's no enthusiasm in the singing. Uh, Everybody is lukewarm, cold, and critical. And uh, they couldn't sing Amazing Grace with any meaning because they didn't need much grace. They were, they were almost there anyway. You know, they, God just gave them a little push and so they made it into heaven. He said, I preached to great sinners, large sinners. I preached to the fallen people of London and the red light district. I preach to the slum dwellers. I preach to drunkards. And I see the grace of God overwhelm them. And they never stop singing. They never stop praying. They never stop giving gratitude. They never stop kissing his feet and weeping that God could forgive them. Moody used to, he was holding revivals. He, of course, he pastored in Chicago. And I just read his sermon on this. And he tells how a prostitute wrote him. Uh, after one of his crusades because he's always talking about the men that got saved and they left the brothels and they left the red light district and they did this and this prostitute wrote him a letter and it's in his sermons. If you want to know the book, I can tell you. And she writes him a letter. She said, Mr. Moody, I hear a total bias in your voice against all of us who make our living in the brothel. You tell about the men who got saved and who left behind But what about all of us lust, sin-satiated girls that never got out? You never seem to say anything about how the grace of God could save the girl that satisfied his lust in a night who sold our body to make enough bread to feed our illegitimate children. Why do you have such a bias against us and you brag so much on the men who left us? Is there no grace for fallen women? Well, Mr. Moody took the challenge. He promoted a big conference right there in Chicago, invited women. He brought all the women that he'd sent to the brothels on the red light district, invited every fallen woman he could, and he preached about Luke 7. That it's an interesting sequence. Love does not earn forgiveness. But love is always the response of the forgiven.
1: And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Our time today spent in God's Word to encourage you, to bring you truth for today. If you have questions or comments about our time together, we would invite you to write to us. You can either visit our website and drop us an email, write to us via U.S. mail, or give us a call. Another way to reach out to us with your questions would be to simply record them on your voice memo app on your smartphone and then email that audio to tftquestions at valleybible.org. Our phone number is 855-833-9864. Our website, truthfortodayradio.org. And if you're writing to us, the address is 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278 hercules california the zip code is nine four five four seven if you have questions about the ministry of truth for today and how we are funded to air on this radio station we would love to talk with you we are listener supported quite simply and no gift is too small no gift is too large whether it's a one-time gift or a monthly gift it all goes back into the radio ministry ensuring that it airs on this radio station So would you consider that as you reach out to us here at Truth For Today? And then we invite you to come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard.